When I look at empowerment for the current frontline workforce, it is about how can we leverage the expertise and the inherent skill sets people already have and how can we use technology to improve that expertise? How can we expand that skill set? Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, hey, it's episode 167. Today, we're talking about putting the frontline worker at the center of the connected brewery. We actually have two guests this week and a little something different from what we normally do. First, we have Villamine Schneider returning to the podcast. She was our guest on episode 95, and she's the CEO and proud founder of Swipe Guide. And we also have Joris Stolk, brewery manager at Heineken's Lagunitas Brewery in Chicago. Now, Swipe Guide is the frontline how-to platform that not only coordinates work instructions and checklists, but it also captures improvements and best practices that can be shared across the enterprise. In other words, it makes sure frontline tasks are done right. And that's exactly how Heineken is using Swipe Guide. This episode actually came out of a presentation and panel discussion that Villamine, Juris, and I were part of a couple months ago where we discussed how frontline knowledge and how-tos would be essential for manufacturers to thrive in 2024. This was at the American Food Manufacturing Summit outside of Chicago. So today, we're bringing you this discussion in interview form. So here are three things you can expect from this episode. First, this episode has a lot of stories, from how Villamine and Eurus met to how frontline workers are collaborating across the globe to solve problems in manufacturing. Second, and I'm just going to name two themes here. The second theme that you can expect throughout this interview is around experimentation. And the third thing, the third theme you can expect from this conversation is empowerment. So lots to look forward to today. As always, if you want to learn more, if you want to connect with yours, if you want to connect with Villamine, head over to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 167. And if you want to be part of conversations like this, if you want to be part of a community of manufacturers that are also collaborating to solve challenges in the industry, well, hey, join the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community over at LinkedIn. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. It takes you straight to the LinkedIn page. If you want to join, make sure to shoot me a note so I know who you are and that you're a listener of this podcast, and I will let you right in. Again, that's the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community over on LinkedIn. Go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community whenever you get the chance. And with that, it's time to jump into today's conversation. We've got a little origin story that we actually get to hear from two perspectives this week. So let's meet up with yours and Illamine. All right, it's not every day that we get two special guests on Manufacturing Happy Hour. And our guests today have known one another for quite some time. So, Yuris, can you kick off the story of how you and Villamine got to know one another? 
Yeah, good. Thanks, Chris, for the uh, for the introduction. This nice first question to I would say our, is the digital love story with a mind <laughs> between us. I think we met in uh, 2015. I had this typical manufacturing challenge. I was sent over to a different country to be uh, have my first uh, frontline supervisor journey, and I had to start up uh, a new production line. And I got there with my palette of paper instructions, and I had actually no clue what to do because nobody wanted to read the instructions, and they had to. And then um, there was a, a diesel whisket at, at our company, Heineken, who uh, connected me to Willemine. And I think there, uh, that's when it started. Yeah, correct. And I, I actually looked it up, you know, going into this uh, conversation today. I think it was the first subscription request we got online was on uh, October 18th at 5.37 a.m. So you were up early that morning. And uh, I remember because, you know, we're also a young technology company and, you know, it's literally sitting behind your computer about like, what's going to happen today? And um, over, the, over the next two days after uh, us got started, I, I found back some customer support interactions that we've had because, you know, I had multiple hats on at the time. And I remember that, you know, within a, even within a couple of days, you had a first batch of digital standards created um, all sorts of questions, and we were really thinking, wow, it's, a, it's a, a very thorough approach. And then I got a phone call from the same digital whiz kid uh, that said, hey, uh, can, can we talk? I said, sure, we can talk. And, and he said, that's good, because I'm already 10 minutes out. And, you know, ever since then, we've been on this joint journey. Well, I'm excited to, to hear a bit more about how this journey has grown over the years. I love that you have the timestamps from the chat conversation. Not only is it a great uh, customer support, you know, customer interaction function, but it comes in handy when you're reciting them for uh, a podcast years yes. from now as well. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, I never looked them back, but it's uh, it, it's been a journey, and yeah, it's uh, impressive to see how, how how far we've come. Well, I'm excited to go into the journey today. And, and Villamine, the first question of the interview is really for you. And this is more of a forward-looking question. So why is frontline enablement essential to thriving in 2024? Let's start there and then we'll get into the story. Yes, it's always good to zoom out a little bit. I think a lot has, uh, has changed. And I think the one thing that is here to stay and you'll hear it through the stories is uh, we're battling labor shortages, right? We're battling how to secure our outputs and the quality. Um, but if, when you look at the lens at Swipe Guide, what matters most in our opinion is that it's essential to retain and recognize your talent, the people in your company. Looking at that, all right, 53% of everyone that currently works in manufacturing is considering to leave their jobs. And lack of engagement and effort uh, on, you know, how do I advance in my role is definitely mentioned in those top five attributes. I mean, what we see is these problems are only going to get bigger. So to be able to compete, to survive, we think it's essential that one, you're able to, as a, as a person, as a workforce, to expand and continue to sort of hit refresh on the skill set in your teams so that you keep them engaged and to make your workforce more resilient and nimble. And to do so is, you know, having a baseline of digital assets that everyone in your team can rely on in their flow of work. And I think those two things in enablement, right, continuously hit the refresh button on skill set, expand them, and guidance in that flow of work, that's going to help you. That is, to me, that's enablement. And that's going to help you to, I would say, compete in the next year. So I'm excited to get into enablement and everything you just mentioned in terms of the context of Heineken's story yeah. as well. 
And and Yuris, this is a good spot to to bring you in because as if let's say we're hanging out having a couple Lagunitas IPAs, right? You got the Lagunitas background behind you today. Let's start with the basics before we get into kind of the chronology here. How do you describe a connected brewery as if you're having a couple IPAs with someone? Okay, um, how would we describe the connected brewery? So how the Digital Whiskey described it to me the first time we met, and that was actually an hour before me and Willemijn already started talking, is he said, you have to think of an, of an um, ecosystem of digital products. So in the brewery, there are a lot of processes, there are a lot of data points, there are a lot of people working. And what a connected brewery likes to achieve is that um, using digital tools, you create a better work experience, whether it's for the employee that they can do their work in a better way, you take advantage of more information, you get support in decision-making, you make processes faster, to actually in the end achieve a better result. And that's how you use digital to support your, your journey for continuous improvement. And then the funny thing is that before we, we met, um, or when we met the first time, then, then the WizKids came with a, with a rough sketch of this is how it should work. And then he said, do you have a challenge? And I said, yeah, I have my challenge with my, my palette of, of paper instructions. And then I think he suggested the first product that in the end became the leading first project of product in, in the Connected Brewery journey, which was SwipeGuide. And I think that, that showed the, the power of, of the Connected Brewery. I, I want to make sure we describe who the digital whiz kid is for everyone out here that's listening to this and and what role that individual played in the connected brewery if it makes sense to define this person now or later in the story that's a okay because i kind of want to hear where this concept where the first connected brewery got developed so yuris if you could lead us off on that one as well so as a supply chain organization we were looking for somebody who could help us develop this concept to digitize the supply chain. And for that, they were looking for somebody who could really function as an evangelist, who would really bring in both the concepts, the connections in the, the digital industry, as well as a leadership to shake things up, to really engage as a global supply chain, which is over 80 countries and more than 200 sites, to all start moving and to get excitement on, on digital journey because everybody knew there was so much advantage in there in it and so much to discover. At the same time, it can also be something that can be perceived as complex or um, abstract. So what he really, uh, where he really helped us is to, to make it concrete, to start thinking of personas. So as a persona, whether I'm an operator on the line or frontline supervisor or a forklifter driver, I have my, my challenges and my issues. And if I solve a pain point in this way, like my example, how does my new canning line works? If I solve that with digital, that means that you will in, embrace it instantly and start expanding from there. Yeah, to, uh, to comment on that, what, what makes it different than everyone else, everything else that we experience is, it is on the one hand, thought-provoking, forward-looking, driving strategic change conversations, but then at the same time, very output focused and practical, uh, teaching the organization to get ready, go, experiment, learn from what happens, whether it's a success or a failure, and then improve. But it really has to solve a practical pain point. And I think that distinguishes the Connected Brewery program from any other programs that we can. Yeah. 
So what what I think um, Digital David, let's call the evangelist like like that. What Digital David did very wisely, I think, was he was looking for that product that was super easy to hop onto, like digital knowledge. We have a lot of new operators that we like to onboard in, in new ways of working, new equipment. And that's a challenge that's in every country. So when we started with SwipeGuide as the first brewery in Belgium, actually within maybe one or two weeks, I got phone calls from, I think it was Singapore and then from Rwanda and then all these other breweries that wanted to, to start. And then from the point of view of the company, I said, everybody wants to start, can start, it's free. You see very often that people go through this endless phase of analysis, gap assessment, business case, more business case. Here it was just like, start. And and then the model of the global digital journey became, don't get ready, get started. Just try things. And and from the head office, they did everything they could to just facilitate experimentation. Because where Digital David has this concept of the connected brewery in mind as a landscape of tools, it was not super set in stone what those tools should be. There was a vision of something with a connected worker and something with data and breweries. But what that landscape should look like, they took like, how many years do you think would amount Two, three years and 700 experiments? Yes. To come in the end to this seven, eight tools that everybody is, is adopting now. That- and, and SwipeGuide was the one where that was positioned in uh, digital knowledge and uh, skills management. Yeah, so what I like about this is we're talking about, in terms of the connected brewery, swipe guide being a piece of this around frontline how-tos enablement. But what I like about your story about Digital David, the digital whiz kid, is you talk about what this individual is looking at was a challenge, looking at the tools that could address that challenge and then taking on the mentality of getting started rather than waiting around and, you know, thinking about it forever, getting into the hundreds of experiments that you described. Yours, did I hear that correctly? Yeah, correct. So my my next question then is, let's talk about how the frontline worker is at the center of the connected brewery. Yours, maybe if you want to lead us off and then Villamine, if you want to add your thoughts after that, we can go in that order again. Yeah, so we started working from uh, from the connected worker and, and what challenge they face. So we have put in place these different personas. And especially in the beginning of the, um, uh, the Connected Brewery journey, every country would do like a digital onboarding workshop where during two, three days, they would actually invite all these personas over together with their supervisor and their managers and start brainstorming what pain points do they have and what digital products could solve that. And that would lead into digital experiments and digital expansion from there. So while that happened in all the countries, the head office would source all these experiments, validate them, and, and would select initiatives that would in the end make it up to the global portfolio. Some initiatives are very good, but you could not scale them because the, the, the company behind it was not solid enough. But some others are, are, are really had the potential like SwipeGuide um, and other tools that are currently in the portfolio to really s- serve a network of, of over 200 breweries. But it always started with a pain point, because if you solve that pain point, then you're sure that digital actually adds value. Yeah, and to build up on that, that is something uh, you and the teams have always challenged us on. Like, they always, we always had this conversation, like it needs to stick on its own. 
right? Adoption has to come from everyone in the breweries. And if they embrace the product, it'll tell its own story. So as a, as a technology, you're constantly challenged on this as well. And what we, there's, there's different ways where we are constantly feel that in the connected brewery strategy, the frontline teams are definitely at the core. So if you, uh, if you look at our concept, it's really about crowdsourcing local expertise, connecting frontline knowledge through the application. But there's always different ways that you could take control over, over that a piece of a, a, a standard or a, a, a workflow. And what, what we've seen really grow at Heineken is by giving out these tools and creating an environment in which people can try things, they've uh, been able to rapidly capture tens and dozens of thousands of standards around the globe by them, you know, trusting information that's being put in and really looking from a local perspective on how can we generate and capture those knowledge pieces. And then from a more centralized supporting team, how can we identify where pra best practices can be skilled rather than putting all sorts of control frameworks around it. Um, and recently we've been working on you know, a product development and an innovation. And again, then we're really test like, what is the exact pain point that it solves? How can we solve it in a way that you don't need to build additional capabilities to adopt an app like this? And I think that that's makes it essential for its success. We'll be right back, right after a word from our sponsor. Stressed out by last minute changes in panel building? Maybe you've encountered this scenario. Your customer has requested control cabinets from you and the delivery date is set. You use CAD to create the schematics, you've got your bill of materials, purchasing buys all the components, and then bam, your customer submits last minute changes and you're stuck going backwards to make those changes. If you've been in this situation before, then you need to check out ePlan. ePlan goes beyond your typical CAD software and is ideal for electrical engineering. You can easily integrate component data from hundreds of manufacturers and enter changes just once and apply those changes to the entire project, freeing up your time to take on more important tasks and more customers. You can learn more by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com ePlan and make sure to catch our full-length interview with them in episode 132, where we talk panel design, apprenticeships, and manufacturing the world over. And now, back to today's episode. So a couple things I heard there when we're talking about putting the frontline worker at the center of the connected brewery. Yuris, you were first talking about how you do this digital onboarding. You go from experiments and then you go to expansion once you figure out how to scale. We'll get back to scaling here in just a second. One of the things you said that really jumped out was that it always started with a pain point because then you can be sure digital adds value. You're not just throwing digital at it, digital solutions, in this case, digital how-tos, um, just for the sake of doing that. There's a reason behind it. And Philomine, you added to that, the thing that jumped out from your answer was you said it's about crowdsourcing local expertise. So again, frontline worker, that local expertise 
probably oftentimes is sitting like on the front line of the brewery as yeah. well and having that environment where you can try things. Um, I see how that all adds together to put the frontline worker at the center. Yeah. And I also think that often the frontline worker is underestimated of the, the value they can add. So once you give them a seat at a table of saying, hey, oh, you have an issue, but you can help us solve that issue. You get a lot of surprising insights that you never thought about as being their supervisor or their manager. I think also that then they feel empowered to actually take more advantage of it after. That was one of our founding principles of Swipe Guide, right? So people that work in disconnected frontline teams are usually undervalued, underestimated, not heard enough. And I think a technology can finally solve that problem and they can connect in any way possible frontline teams. And not just talking about what we do at Swipe Guide, but you can look at it through different lenses of different technologies, but by simply using applications to connect ideas and expertise people have and leverage that across each other. Yeah, that is, that is, uh, I think, a unique power. I have a nice, uh, nice example. There was the, I think, we had two sites in Swipe Guide. It was us in Belgium and Singapore. And then there was a guy on the same machine in Singapore that we had in Belgium. And, and then without us knowing, they actually connected with each other through Workplace, so the company Facebook, because they, they saw from each other they were working on, on the same instruction. And, 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 we, and that, that's, I think, what empowerment looks like. They, they don't need their supervisor and their manager and then ask for approval and so on. They just can say, okay, it's up to you. If you want to take advantage of, of the connections you can establish and the technology you have, that's good. And they can take, take, yeah, I think that creates such a richer experience in the workplace. I love that example. And, and just to confirm, through the connected brewery, what you had set up with tools like Swipe Guide, they were able to figure out for themselves that, hey, someone at a different brewery is having the exact same problems that, that I am. And they yeah. found a way to connect to talk through it. Excellent example. I was going to ask you for an example, but you you already beat me to it on that one. So I guess the question is then, we talked about empowering people to do experiments. Experiments that work to address the pain points are step one. But you also talked about expansion. I do want to talk about the scalability then, because I think that's where a lot of manufacturers get stuck. A lot of people call it pilot purgatory. They prove out a solution, but they can't get it outside of the first factory, for example. So, Yuris, how is this scaled? Tell us a bit more about that. So I think it's a combination of push and pull. So I think from the global, there was at a certain point after, let's say, two years, it was much more clear in what direction the connected brewery was going. So there was a point where they put product owners in place. So it was a product owner for task management. This was a central point of contact to work with people like Willemijn of, okay, from the network, we see these requests. We want your tool to develop like this. And then we had, to, especially in the beginning, uh, there was, I think it was a very nice collaboration on on, on our wish list and, and how SwipeGuide was, was working with that. Um, so, uh, so these product owners would also agree with um, the, um, the regions and Heineken, hey, what is our ambition for SwipeGuide? Where we want to be? Um, at the same time, the pull from the brewery was to to create the excitement for a digital journey. So regardless if there was a pull push from the head office, there were actually breweries calling saying, hey, I want to start. When can, when can I be on the list? And I think especially for um, in terms of scaling fast, when you create that excitement of the 
don't get ready, get started. And I've always found it a fascinating tool and movement for talents in the organization. So talents always look for opportunities to show off themselves a little bit more than the normal worker. And if you say, you know, this, this digital innovation, this topic, this project is, is, is something where you can really go all out. Yeah, I think that was a, was a really nice way to, for people to, um, to go that extra mile. And I think in Heineken, they did a very nice way of, of keeping that excitement alive. So there were these sort of road shows. And I think with, we, with Belgium, we won um, a regional connected brewery award. Um, we have like digital talents awards for digital ambassador of the year. Um, and it, it landed uh, new jobs with people. So not only were they able to show things off, actually it, it led to also a new step in their career. So I love how the frontline worker has been truly at the center of these answers as we talk even about how this has scaled. The one last thing I want to ask for this portion of the conversation before we get into some broader topics, I should say, describe the day in the life of a connected worker when they go into a connected brewery, whether they're on bottling, whether they're in fermentation. I'm curious, you know, you painted a great picture of how two individuals interacted across the world when they, when a problem arose, but, you know, maybe gave us the day in the life when, you know, it's just the typical day to day. Sure, there might be a problem in there, but what does the typical day look like? So a typical day will be that they come in, they get to where, where, in a brewery often very traditionally organized in, in areas. So people, for example, would work in packaging, they're assigned to the bottle line and they will work mostly either labeler or filler. Um, then you would run through a batch, you do your daily startup and run, change over, cleaning, quality inspections. That's sort of your basic task to things to continue to production. If you then see what, what the apps are is, is when something needs to happen. For example, if you take the connected worker part, we have one app that's for, hey, I need to do something new or I need to do a task. Then there's this first app uh, for task management that will send tasks to you on the, on the tablet. So you have your tablet with you and there you can see what you need to do in terms of the daily routines or additional tasks. Then if you know how to do that, that's fine. But what if you're new into a, a workstation? Um, then you have app number two, which is Swipe Guides with digital work instructions that can help if you don't know what to do. If you know it, that's fine. But for these specific tasks, um, these digital work instructions can come in, in handy. Then you have app number three, um, which is developed in-house. It's called Want to Improve. That's everything related to continuous improvement. So what if you have set the labeler up, but the label will not stick? You can take a picture and then a digital workflow starts in, in an environment where we do in Heineken the continuous improvement. Um, so it can be like a root cause failure analysis, or you can ask for a work order, maintenance intervention, process change. And then the interesting part of those three apps that I just mentioned that all the Heineken breweries that have hopped on those apps work in the same environment. So I can see the work instructions from another brewery. I can see the task list from another brewery. I can see the deviations from another brewery. And I think that creates a lot of transparency on what did people do to solve the issue that, that we have and, and what can we learn from them. So I think that's this part connected worker. And then uh, there is the other part of, of the connected brewery, which is called the, the smart brewery. 
as more to take advantage of uh, advantage of of data and technology in the brewery. We basically see there three products. Dashboard analytics is all the insights that machines have and, and, and products on top of that. 3D printing and robotics. So 3D printing can be, I print a tool for you to do a changeover or a, um, a spare part for maintenance. And robotics is cleaning robots. Um, we do bottle inspection robots just to, to support uh, the worker in the day-to-day activities. So I think it's one part is the tablets to facilitate your work and, and insights and technology around your workstation. What uh, what I like about that is you also went beyond the connected worker, but now you have consistent visibility to everything that's taking place at those plants. You, do, you yeah. have to do less guessing based on, oh, this facility is like this, this brewery is like that. You have that visibility to the work instructions that are being looked at, the data that's coming from the process. Yeah. yeah. So, so what's interesting, I think, more of forward-looking when when it becomes more and more an ecosystem rather than this, this, this products by themselves is based on data. You have you have insights what needs to happen, but then it becomes interesting on the task allocation where I assign a task to an operator. If so, which one? The one who's doing this the best in the past, or or so I assign it to a robot to actually pass by somewhere. So you have breweries where the Boston Dynamic robots runs in the brewery to pick up stuff. Well, maybe that person or that that robot will get a task in the future. Hmm. I like how this all comes together. I want to do some some forward looking as well for the the audience out there that's listening and start turning this into some practical tips for them as well. So, Yuris, the first question I've got is for you. Can you talk about like some practical tips then you would like for successfully implementing a global initiative? like Heineken's Connected Brewery program. I think that's something that, whether we're talking a digital initiative, um, really anything that I think a lot of manufacturing leaders out there could learn. I think, first of all, get that vision really clear where you want to go. Like, why do you want to do digital? Um, and what's the what's the benefit of it? I think the second one is create an excitement. The change management part is very important to make sure that people really buy into what they're doing, um, but also get the right support of getting to that experimentation mindset and then at a certain point they because also i think digital innovation is a skill in itself that people in the beginning didn't so much had uh, and also it's it's um, a mindset of experimentation and and agile thinking i would say um and then um i think also in what we have seen a lot is um you should take out all the boundaries what i said earlier if you What's first, governance or energy? If you put a lot of governance in, governance in place, all the energy is gone. And if you put the energy first, the governance can come later, but then the, mo- the movement already started. And I think that's what we did with, with Heineken. So we went from zero to 90 sites with, with Swipe Guides with a man in how, how many, much time? Five months? Yes, it was the first half year, and uh, then it rapidly scaled. Very limited governance in place. Wow. A lot of people got, got yep. very nervous out of that. but. The, the energy yeah. was so so overwhelming. People just didn't want want, want to do. And then after you know maybe it it, it swipe guys stick with with fifty or sixty sites. Well, that was a benefit. And those thirty that dropped off joined later on again. But you should always keep keep a good balance of what do we do to keep the energy in place and what's the governance that we need to keep continuing. I think that's when 
we much more switch gears to embed digital in the um, continuous improvement methodology of TPM that we have to make sure that not digital becomes a, a tool in itself, but it's your means to get success. The next round of our interviews coming up right after a word from our sponsor. Three M's Clash of the Grinders Student Edition is a high-stakes grinding and welding competition that pits soon-to-be pros against each other to find rising stars in the skilled trades. You can catch this one-of-a-kind video series now by subscribing to 3M Abrasive's YouTube channel by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 3M. Think of this series like a manufacturing reality show, where the top winner receives a whopping $10,000 scholarship sponsored by Fanuc. Now why is 3M doing this? Well, 3M is on a mission to create 5 million skilled trade and STEM learning experiences designed to inspire curiosity, improve educational outcomes, and provide transformational opportunities for underrepresented individuals. Make sure to subscribe to 3M Abrasives on YouTube so that you don't miss a single new episode of Clash of the Grinders Student Edition. Again, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 3M will take you right there. And now, back to today's episode. So I want to make sure we're very clear on this because I, I loved what you said at the start about that mindset of experimentation as well as taking out all the boundaries. But just to make sure it's crystal clear, at some point you got to have governance, as you were saying as well. So what would be your tip? Because I think a lot of people do want to experiment and they want less boundaries, but at the same time, folks are thinking it's like, well, I got to have some guardrails on this. So what would you say is your big tip around that balance of getting rid of boundaries, but also making sure you get governance yeah. in at the right time? Good question. Many elements to it. I would say um, make budget available. Make sure you have the right sponsors in place that give room for experimentation. Get the use case catalog. Get the experiments going. But at a certain point, you have to say, we're done experimenting. We're getting into this structure that we have with the product owners. And these product owners, they, they make sure that once you have your 80% covered of tools, that, that, that foundation gets rolled out. Uh, and that you start building success on top of that. In the meantime, new use cases come in. So for example, the robotics use case was added maybe only three, four years later. But then the foundation was already so strong that was already expanding. To build up on that, like, what I like about it is many organizations struggle with the change itself. So uh, igniting that energy and uh, gives confidence, it boosts uh, people to take a little risk experiment, right? And that, that accelerates it. But then you can build up on that energy to start integrating again. So uh, often we see that people go the other way around. And where we can see it, Heineken, is by believing that when you take the guardrails off, is that how you say it? that 99.9% .9 of the people will do everything they can to impact results in a positive way. So taking these guardrails off, are it feels strange, but actually it's going to help you excel. I like that. I think that's a great way to put a bow around that part of the conversation. 
Villamon, I have a follow-up question in this regard as well, because you see this at a lot of companies beyond Heineken as well. So what are other companies doing to build a digital ecosystem like this as well? Give us that macro view. Yeah, so there is an... And there's different ways that are that companies are approaching this, and we can definitely see that Heineken here is a is a trailblazer, uh, and and probably quite you know light years ahead. When when I look at what most of the companies are doing, we see massive change from before two years ago. It was very much a top-down initiative. Um, people were looking at high levels of automation and digital twin technology. And as you pointed out earlier, organizations got stuck in pilot perjury. So finding that ROI on the digital twin is very difficult to achieve. So what we're now seeing much more is organizations are creating awareness of the benefits of you know, digital transformation, like digital enablement is a path to solving real life problems. More and more we see, and that is important, okay, have leadership commitment make sure that there's a, a sponsor and an, an energetic sponsor that tells that story and gets the organization ready. And we see where organizations, really where it thrives, is having a very practical application mindset. Don't try to fix every problem in one solution all at the same time, but really building small use cases, practical applications, and using technologies that indeed can stand on their own. So technologies that are designed to be used without any mm -hmm. guidance that can fly off on its own and can be taken over, I would say, by the organization. What I like about what you said was you focused on practical applications. And I think maybe an underrated one that not everyone is looking at is you talk about not only having a sponsor, but an energetic sponsor that knows how to tell that story. I think yes. that's so clutch. You know, we got about 10 minutes left here in our conversation. I have a few more questions for each of you. The first one is a common question for both of you. Yoris, if you want to start this one off in the villa mine, if you want to follow, I want to ask, how do you build a culture that keeps people at the center. Um, Yoris, if you can kick us off there, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I think it's it's, it's very important that you you really put focus on on people. Like that you can uh, design organizations on purpose. So uh, at Heineken, we we put a lot of um, effort to what you call strategic workforce planning. So you take a point in the future and you you actually design how to develop organizations and people through that. Um, so you really have a, have a plan what you do with, with your people. Um, and then you start, okay, where, if I, I know where I want to go, but where am I am at, at this moment? And then you, it's just fundamental that you really know your people well. So do you listen to the right people? Do you know what they're struggling with? Um, do you see what they, um, what they like to do? And what are the opportunities you have to, to uh, help them? embrace their their work and and uh, the engagement that uh, that they have being here and that's i think where you see again with, with digital is i've seen so many people really thrive just by experimenting and and learning from it um and uh, as i said earlier taking advantage of of all the added value that an operator can add to this discussion i think that's really really helpful Billamine, what would you add? I would start with walk the talk. Like in every, if in every 
factory, every plant, every brew that I've been had the privilege of being invited to. I see people walk the talk, leaders that show up for their team, that are setting the example, that are uh, that make sure people are recognized, developed as your ascent, and that they're given autonomy, that they're empowering their people to all, yeah, that they are unlocking the talent. So really listening and seeing people for who they are and can become. And it sounds like maybe corny or repetitive, but those are the environments that people are loyal, that are enthusiastic, that have, you know, that then are energized or even empowered to take control over a change, right? A, a course correction, whether it's implementing a digital tool to improve how they do a certain task or whether it is to apply for, you know, a next level of a program, um, was it apprenticeship program? Yeah. Then those putting it also into daily practices is for me uh, essential. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that we do annually uh, on a global scale is a, a climate survey. So it's a survey with around 60 questions that talks about communication, teamwork, your manager, uh, your engagement um, on the company. And, and it gives a really good score of, of how people feel about being at the company, being with their team, um, their development, and, and, and it really makes it measurable. So you can also set goals for yourself. Say, hey, actually, I want my, my climate score to go up by X amount of percent. And then you can really make an action plan for your people to make sure they feel better at work. Because if they feel better, more recognized, more rewarded, they feel they develop. Yeah, with, with an engaged workforce is, is, is a day and night difference with a disengaged work, workforce. And I think if you're on purpose uh, put priority there, then, you, then you're sure that you, your, your climate and your culture will make progress. Well, I like where you've both gone with this in terms of empowering, putting folks to the center, because Philemon, you mentioned one of the stats earlier. I'm just looking looking at some of the ones I have that one stat says 44% of frontline workers in manufacturing are not satisfied with their current career prospects. We talked about, hey, 53% of frontline workers are considering leaving their jobs in the next two years. There's, there's a lot of stuff there that says why what you're talking about is so important here. I've got one more question for both of you before we wrap this up. And, and Yuris, we'll start with you and then Villamine will have you wrap up our conversation. Yuris, looking ahead, what does the future of frontline work look like according to you? Very interesting question because I think the, the frontline work has changed already so dramatically in the past 10 years. And it will, it will probably continue to, to change a lot in the next 10 years. So what you will see is a dramatic improvement in productivity. So where before in, in, in manufacturing workplaces, you would see a lot of employees and that, that will get less and less because we, we automate more. Um, we uh, lines were run with, with higher performance and stability. So also you see that expertise that people have on their jobs workstation that they maybe we've been working on for 20 years Will be, will be less because people have less opportunity to develop that expertise and it will rotate more between jobs, between workstations. So with more and more technology coming in, um, more data and, and tools taking over the decision-making and, and um, recognizing errors and, and breakdowns coming up, I think technology will take more 
the role of the, um, the decision maker guiding less connected workers, but they're still there because you still need human intervention and, and human insights. But there's much more that collaboration where, and, and then again, you see, I assign, like I said earlier, there's an activity needed. I have a system designed, I assign to a person. Person doesn't know how to do it because it's the first time, but they have that maybe the technical expertise to tap into. So maybe they're a mechanical engineer or other technical background together with their own insights, their skills and um, theoretical knowledge. There's five guides instruction. They can still make that intervention, but they maybe make that intervention only once in their professional career, maybe in an area they've never been to before. So I think that's, that's what this frontline um, worker future look like that people will be better educated. They will be smarter. They will be most of times guided by technology but they still need that critical thinking themselves to make sure they, they saw what they're doing. Yeah, there's this element of being able to uh, learn the things and solve problems as you go, particularly yeah. through solutions like Swipe Guide. Wow, you the both of you said it so wonderfully. <laughs> I can just go like plus one. No, seriously. It's, and this is, I, I said at one point, uh, to was like, in the future, the version that Swipe Guide is today is obsolete, right? It's through through so i believe that we have waves of you know first we have to go through waves of capturing knowledge standardizing learning through all of the different implications that we have what are more meaningless repetitive tasks to challenge yourself say what yours just said eventually augment any frontline worker in a way that this person can do a larger variety of more complex tasks being guided through technology because as Dora said, you still have that man-machine interaction and you want to make sure that yeah. goes right. And that is, that is the problem that Swipe Guide wants to solve. How can we augment any frontline worker to execute a task, the more complex it gets, um, through enabling this person with the right knowledge and technology at the time? Um, but I believe it is not through, you know, I don't thread, and there's no thread in that sense of, automation and robots are not tomorrow taking over. It is a path of learning. How do we re-educate and re-skill and re-apply the people that we had? Yeah, because I think the, um, that concept of the dark factory where actually no person is around is probably, it's possible in theory, but too expensive to get there. So there is always a person around to help. The question is what's the balance between human interaction and technology? in a way that's it's it's feasible and cost effective. So Villamine, the, the last question I had for you is what does empowerment look like in the long run? And I think you kind of hinted at most of this in your answer, but if this will be the last question as we as we wrap this up. So for, for me, and I think that I answered it, but when I look at uh, empowerment for the current frontline workforce, it is not about uh, to me, it is about how can we leverage the expertise and the inherent skill sets people already have, and how can we use technology to improve that, you know, improve that expertise, improve their ability to execute a task with a very accurate guidance, step by step within that flow for constantly synchronizing the what the worker does with the piece of equipment or the line this person works at. 
that there's a constant synchronization happening between man and machine, as you can call it, to get it, to get it right. And using all the time, right, using the data that we learned from it to think, hey, is this something we can further augment or is this where we optimize the man-machine interaction? So for me, it's about, hey, what, how can we expand that skill set? Hey, this has been an excellent conversation, bringing together two old friends that have worked in the industry for so long. I appreciate the stories. I appreciate the perspectives on frontline workers. I just want to thank you both for jumping on Manufacturing Happy Hour. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Hey, hey, thank you for listening. If you want to learn more, if you want to connect with our guests, head over to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 167 to access the show notes page from today's episode. There you can learn more about Swipe Guide. You can, of course, look up Lagunitas Brewing, which I should be very clear. I want to make sure everyone understands Lagunitas is owned by Heineken. I actually got to know Lagunitas pretty well when I was living just south of their Petaluma, California location when I was out in the Bay Area. Love that brewery, and I do go on record many times telling folks that one of the best beers I ever had was a Lagunitas IPA pulled fresh off the line in California. So delicious stuff. Great that we got to talk about it in true manufacturing happy hour fashion on this podcast, having a brew, talking about brewing operations, talking about the technology that enables that is totally what we do here at Manufacturing Happy Hour. Anyway, as we wrap up today, I want to say thank you to our sponsors. First up, we got ePlan. Second, we got 3M. And we actually have a new sponsor that I'm excited to introduce you to. But hey, you've actually been introduced to them already because Swipe Guide is now a partner of Manufacturing Happy Hour. We've got some cool stuff coming up with them in the near future. So continue to listen to the podcast. You'll definitely be hearing more about them on the show very soon. With that, one last call to action. If you want to join a group of manufacturing leaders that are constantly talking about what's going on in the industry, connecting one another with new opportunities, well then, hey, you need to join the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community here on LinkedIn. Go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. It'll take you to the group and there you can request to join. It's a private group, but hey, make sure to shoot me a note. Just tell me you heard about it on the podcast and I will let you write in. Anyway, with that, thank you so much for sticking around. Stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.